0: This afternoon I preach you the gospel. The revelation of the Son of God is that's found in the names, the titles he received. Jesus Christ, only begotten Son our Lord. As that's confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll read explanation of these names. it's page 526 in the book of praise. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves or anywhere else, also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. Why is he called Christ that is anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith. And thus share in his anointing so that I may as prophet confess his name as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Why is he called God's only begotten son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, For Christ's sake, why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. Beloved church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God is almighty, Father, creator of heaven and earth. By his sovereign power, he holds us in his providential care. And trusting in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, gives us peace in our hearts and in our lives. And out of the quiet of worshiping a sovereign God with an eternal plan, we confess that God expressed his love for us in the person of his son, whom he first revealed to us through the prophets. In the heart of the gospel, we share with our neighbor is that God, that sovereign God with his eternal plan, he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, verse 16. Whoever believes in that Son will not perish, but have eternal life. But who is this Son that we are to believe in? Well, following the confessions that we read about in Matthew and John and Acts, in the Apostles' Creed, we also describe who this son that we are to believe in is. And we describe him according to all that he has revealed about himself in the names that he was given. Lord's Days 11 to 13 explain that very carefully. It is not flesh and blood that leads us to identify Jesus as the son of God. Our Lord Jesus told Peter it wasn't flesh and blood, it was his father in heaven. And so the Father in heaven reveals that he himself anointed his son as prophet, priest, and king to save his adopted children from all their sins and to make them his own possession. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the the gospel summarized, the gospel we want to share The gospel I proclaim to you this afternoon. We believe that the Son of God is the promised Savior of the world, Jesus. The anointed head of his church, Christ. And the ruler of God's eternal kingdom, our Lord. The names and the titles that were given to the Son of God, they have deep roots in the Old Testament covenant promises of salvation for the people of God. So when Mary heard, Mary and Joseph heard that their their son's name would be Jesus, which means Savior, they heard that in Matthew 1, verse 21, and that this baby would be called Son of the Most High, that he would sit on David's throne. That's what Mary heard when the angel spoke to her. We read about that in Luke 1, verse 21. 32 was they heard this. All God's promises in the Old Testament would come rushing forward in their minds. And that's why when you look at Mary's song in Luke 1 verses 54 and 55, she connects Jesus right away to the Old Testament. She says he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Jesus Christ, you could say he's, he's born and he's being born on the wave of the revelation of the Old Testament. And upon seeing this little baby, Simeon declared that his eyes have seen the salvation that God has prepared in the presence of all peoples. The Son of God was promised in the Old Testament and revealed in the birth of Jesus Christ. And that connection to the Old Testament is very important to understand if we want to know what the name Jesus means. The main problem revealed so clearly in the Old Testament is that there's a barrier between us and the Father in heaven and that barrier is our own sinfulness and our own rebellion. And so those sins are preventing us from the abundant life and peace that we can find in God. And the Old Testament repeats that over and over through the patriarchs, through the prophets, through the laws and the ceremonies. Basically, the message is we are unable to live in harmony and love that God demands of all the subjects of his kingdom. We need a savior our sins incur the wrath of god and drive an increasingly large wedge between us and god our father and although there were many saviors In the Old Testament, the patriarchs would come and save the the people of God, and the judges would come, and the priests would stand between the people and and God so they could continue to have access to the Lord. And kings were, were saviors in the Old Testament as well. We see that not one of them was able to satisfy the justice of God, to pay for the sins of the people, to restore them to favor with God. And so you can see it. Everyone was hoping and praying for the perfect and complete Savior who could save them without depending on them for any part of their salvation. The Savior that we confess has arrived in Lord's Day 11, where we explain that He is the complete Savior in whom we can find all that is necessary. For our salvation. Everyone was waiting for the announcement. That has already been given. To Mary. You will call your son. Jesus. For he will save his people. From their sins. What a blessing it is. That we may know. The second person of the Trinity. Jesus our Savior. Born under the law. Born of a woman. To save those who are under the law. And Jesus' reply to Peter in Matthew 16 shows that he saves completely all those who who believe in him. He said, Jesus is such a savior that not even the gates of hell can prevail against him. Not even the great accuser, not even the devil who's trying to separate us from the righteousness of Christ and to keep us in our own sins, not even the devil, and overcome Jesus, the Son of God. He is a complete Savior, the promised Savior. And often the word Savior is loaded up with many wrong meanings. Some songs, and it's okay to repeat the name Jesus as we think of him as as a Savior, the name Jesus as Savior, the question always is what is he a Savior of? What is he saving you from? And often in our own minds we, we load up that name Savior with many wrong meanings that do not come from what the Bible teaches but on the things we don't like in this life. And so I've met many people who think that Jesus will save them from uncomfortable things. They think if you repeat the name Jesus enough, he will save you from sickness, or he will save you from death, or he will save you from work, or he will save you from poverty. Jesus the Savior from anything I don't like. But the Bible teaches us if he is the promised Savior, the one that was promised in the Old Testament, he is the one who saves us from our sins. And more precisely, he saves us from the wrath of God against my sins now if you look to acts chapter 3 that we looked at as well you can see that Jesus has the power to heal those born lame or crippled yet this power was exercised through his apostles in order that people might repent You see how that miracle and the preaching was all aimed at at announcing that Jesus saves from sins. Turn to him, repent, and be saved from condemnation. Jesus is a stone that was rejected by the builders, lifted up as the cornerstone, and then Acts 4 verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus means Savior because he saves his people from the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against sin. Turn to him. Proclaim him to your neighbor. When the Lord Jesus came, he wanted people to know exactly who he was, he didn't want them to, to miss that he was the promised Savior. Other people in the time of Jesus and his disciples, they had been given the name Jesus. It was, very, it was a New Testament form, the Greek form of the Old Testament, named Joshua, a very common name. And so the Lord Jesus asked those who were following him, he said, "So who do people say that I am? And he wanted them to know that he was the only and complete promised Savior. And the Heavenly Father revealed to Peter who Jesus was. And so Peter made that beautiful confession that we continue to make today in the Apostles' Creed. He said, You are the Christ. That's the Greek for Messiah, the Messiah, or anointed one. You are the anointed one, the Christ, the Son. Of the living God, and that little word "the" before the title Christ in Peter's confession indicates that he was someone that the people had been waiting for for a very, very long time. Peter said, "You've you finally come. You standing here in sandals before me. You are the anointed one who had been promised in the Old Testament." foreshadowed by David and the other anointed kings in his line. We looked at, for example, Psalm 18 last week. And even though soon afterwards Peter showed that he did not exactly understand what he was saying, our Lord Jesus praised his Father in heaven that Peter recognized that Jesus, that man, was the promised Savior, the anointed One who fulfills all the Old Testament promises. That is a part of our confession, our proclamation of who the Son of God is. So when someone tells you, well, who is the Son of God that you worship? Why, who is this son that I have to believe in? You you begin, you say, "His, his name is Jesus. He's a Savior. He's also the Christ, the anointed head of the church. And it's quite an amazing blessing to call a human being the Messiah, the Christ. And we join in Zechariah's joy, his, his prophecy that you can read also in Luke 1, verses 68 to 79. We sing about the depth of the mercy and the grace of God who did not leave his rebellious people in their sins, but he remembered his covenant and raised up a horn of salvation as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old to save his people in the forgiveness of their sins. God called his son the Christ. And so he revealed that he had ordained him to fulfill all the temporary offices of the Old Testament as the head of his church, as our head. And God was acting with a very deliberate purpose. He had you in mind when he sent his son, when he ordained him as, fa- as prophet, priest, and king. And you can see that our confession also captures that specific purpose of our Lord in Lord's Day 12, the first sentence. It says we call the Son of God Christ because he has been ordained by God the Father. Christ has been ordained like office bearers continue to be today he was ordained he was appointed he was set apart for a specific mission Christ ordination took place when the Holy Spirit descended upon him at baptism right there at the beginning of his mission and then the heavenly father he confirmed from heaven that this Jesus that person standing in the water was the anointed one anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord Father pointed and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so not only does the baptism of our Lord Jesus confirm that the one true God is three persons, Holy Spirit, Son, and Father, but it also confirms that the man named Jesus is truly the Christ the Son of the living God. And so Peter's confession that we read in Matthew 16 was merely a repetition of what he had seen at the baptism. He believed Jesus who told the Samaritan woman in clear terms that he who was speaking to her is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God. And once again, to understand the fullness of that, we need to understand the connection to the Old Testament. Anointing oil was a symbol of God's spirit who was given to all men who held special offices to equip them in their task as prophets or priests or kings. These men were used by God as instruments to lead the church in the truth of the gospel. These men were given as instruments to lead the church. So what is is God telling us when he says, my son is the anointed one? He's saying he is the instrument I use to lead my church. So Moses and the prophets were anointed with oil to be the mouthpieces of God. They pointed ahead in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, also points to that promise. They said there's going to be a better prophet who will fully reveal the will of God concerning our redemption. And so we confess he's come. His name is Jesus. He is Christ. He is our chief prophet and teacher. We look to the Old Testament and we see that God anointed several men to be mediators, to stand between, to continually intercede between God's people in heaven and God in heaven. And then these priests were pointing ahead to the Christ and today we confess he's come. His name is Jesus Christ. He is continually interceding for us before the Father in heaven. He is our only high priest. David and the anointed kings were anointed with oil and ordained to govern and defend the people of God. And they were pointing forward to the anointed king. And now we confess that king has come. He is eternal. His name is Jesus Christ and he defends and preserves us. And so when Martha confessed that she believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, pointing to the promise. She recognized that she was bowing before the Christ, the Anointed One, who fulfills all headship in the Old Testament church. She realized she was... Bowing before the one who had all power in in heaven and on earth. The one whom God set apart for her and for her salvation. She knew that his words fully revealed the counsel of God concerning her redemption. She believed that whoever believes in him has life and will not perish. You are the resurrection and the life. And when we confess that Jesus is the Christ. When we confess that our head is Jesus Christ, we confess that we share in his anointing. The Son of God was called Christ because he was anointed. We are called Christians Christians because we share in his anointing. And then we realize we're not just saved from God's anger, but we're saved to something. We recognize that we share in Christ's anointing. That means that it's not just that we're saved from God's wrath, but we're shared. We sh- we're, we're saved to be a part of his anointing, a part of his calling. Those whom God saves, he also anoints with the Holy Spirit so that we may bear fruit. We sang about that in Psalm 13. 52 stands a five this morning talking about that olive tree bearing fruit and then we see the consequences of our confession you say i believe jesus savior christ the anointed one if you believe that he is your lord if you believe that you share in his anointing you believe that you are a Christian, then you believe that you are called to share in his anointing, you share in his calling. And Lord's Day 12 does such a beautiful job. It's good that we all memorize that and think about what that means, to share in his anointing. So beautifully describes what it means to be a Christian, prophet, priest, and king. You, You can read that, we read it together, you can think about that what you have been called to. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are equipped by the Holy Spirit to be active, living members of his church as prophet, priest, and king. That's what salvation is all about. Salvation begins to change what we do during the day we share in the kingdom of God. When Jesus referred to himself in Matthew 16, verse 13, look at the title that he used. He was standing before them. Matthew 16, verse 13, and he said to his disciples, he said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, he gave room for his disciples to answer his question about his identity, who he was, he gave room for them to answer in two ways. If the title, Son of Man, was taken to be a reference to his humanity and his life that began in infancy in Nazareth, then his preaching and his miracles would have to be described in earthly categories along the lines of, of the incomplete foreshadowing work of the prophets. So those who believe that Jesus was John the Baptist, who believe that Jesus was Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, they were thinking of Son of Man in his humanity. And they could not believe that he was the promised Messiah who could save them from all their sins. However, that title, Son of Man, could also be a title interpreted in the light of Daniel 7. Daniel 7, verses 9 to 14. And in this prophecy, we read of one like a son of man who came up to the throne of the ancient of days, who received dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages could serve him. Daniel 7 says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus said, What kind of Son of Man do you think I am? Like the other prophets or the one who fulfills them all? The one that Daniel talks about, that one with an eternal kingdom. Well, we know which way the disciples went. They confessed that the son of Mary standing in front of them in sandals was the son of man prophesied in Daniel 7 who was nothing less than the son of the living God. Who do you believe the son of God is? What does it mean to believe in the son of God? Lord's Day 13 says that anyone who calls Jesus God's only begotten son is calling him the eternal, natural son of God. We are saying that a baby born of a woman who many could only see as a son of man, maybe like one of the prophets, we are saying today that he is true God of true God. We are saying he's begotten from eternity. He's always been the son. He's he's co-eternal. The same essence with the father. If you'd like to see a nice description of that you can read that in the Belgic Confession Article 10. Once again Peter and Martha's confession does not come from their own imaginations. They come directly from what jesus christ revealed about himself about his own teaching the gospel of john is is filled with references to the divine sonship of jesus christ and then we see that really our confession is just a confession that we believe that the bible is true that we believe that the son of god is the one who is one with the father In John, he says, I came down from heaven and I will return to heaven. In John, the Lord Jesus said before Abraham was, I am a reference also to his eternal divinity. The disciples confessed that they were standing in the presence of the eternal king of the universe. Who is indeed the true God. In John 11, verse 40, he tells the people, did I not tell you that you would see the glory of God? Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. That's Hebrews 1, verse 3. As we talk about our faith, as we talk about the Son of God that we believe in, we can see that he is one who is worth dying for. Here we have the Savior, the anointed head of the church, the one, the king of an eternal kingdom. And so it's not surprising that one of the last statements made in the book of John about this Son of God is a confirmation made by Thomas as a representative of the church, of the 12, the leaders. In John 20, verse 28, he he sees the Lord Jesus and the holes in his hands, and he says, my Lord and my God. And that personal pronoun, my, is important. It recognizes the wonderfully personal results of the work of Jesus Christ. We're speaking of the Son of God who did all this. We're speaking of the Son of God that we can call our own, our own Savior, our own head, our own Lord. Paul says in Philippians, we remember that, chapter 2, that God made himself, humbled himself, take on the form of, of man so that he might be exalted as Lord of all that we might bow before Him, calling Him our God, my God, my Lord. In Him we can be assured that we are citizens of an eternal kingdom. As we see the names that God gave to His Son, whom He sent to the world, it fills our hearts with great joy and comfort. We're not here on this sunny afternoon in this building, for nothing. We're here to worship our Lord, our Savior, and our head. And what a blessing it is for beleaguered pilgrims to hear the quieting words of their sovereign and almighty Father. He answers our prayers. He calms our fears with a finger pointing to a son of man in sandals and saying he is my son. He was born of a woman. He was anointed as the Christ so that he might fulfill the work of all my anointed servants and save you in his blood from the coming wrath. He saves you by plucking you out of the devil's grip and placing you in his eternal kingdom, giving you his spirit as a guarantee. And he will reign over you forever and ever. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. The Lord firms before us. John wrote a whole gospel to confirm us, to convince us of this truth. And near the end, he wrote that text that was displayed as you walked into the building this afternoon. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Who do you believe? that the man Jesus is. How do you show that you are a follower of this Jesus? Well, convicted by the Holy Spirit, the church of God, Christians confess, I believe the Son of God is my Savior, the promised anointed one, who is my eternal master. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Almighty Father's only begotten Son, My Lord, amen.